everyone, welcome to Jollo of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we travel to Los Angeles as we analyze 10 to Midnight from 1983. Starring tough guy actor Charles Bronson, 10 to Midnight follows a LA police detective and his rookie partner as they hunt down a psychopathic young man who murders young women. My guest today is currently eating Jello. It's a theme. <laughs> He's a frequent contributor to Jollo of the Month Club. He's a musician, filmmaker, and fellow podcaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Wade Brown. It's the first episode of the year that I'm included. I know people in the last episode were very puzzled to why I wasn't there. Oh, they were puzzled to why it was just me. Yeah. (laughs) Now they're puzzled. Why, Why bring this guy back on? Why is he eating Jello during the intro? Because it's because I bought Jello for the first time in like a, two years. I was Jell-O's excited. Jello is like zero carb, zero calories. Zero right? calories, and I got yeah. strawberry. And it's mm. red, bright red. Mm. Mm. I like it. That's the only thing that's the thing with this episode. I'm not eating it naked. <laughs> now that would be. Oh yeah, we're not doing a video podcast. Now that <laughs> would be on theme of this episode. <laughs> if I was naked and I had like the Charles Bronson face, the. <laughs> Smug. The smug, like smug with the mustache. Like tough tough yeah. guy actor, Charles Bronson. Wade, what have you been watching recently? Ah! Scream. Oh, me too. Scream 5. We saw it. T- we, we went to uh, see it. And it was the live Q&A? Yeah. So it was the first screening. It was the Thursday night screening. And then there was a live Q&A with David Arquette. One of the directors, the producer. And then the person that was interviewing them was the director of Happy Death Day. Yeah, and I was also the and writer. Freaky. The writer was there. Oh, it was the writer. The writer, the yes. Okay. The writer of the original Scream and this Scream. Uh, oh, yes, Kevin Williams. Yes, Kevin yes. Williamson. Yes. Um, and what else? What else have I been watching? I I watched The Craft okay, for the first. Are we going to talk about New Scream? Oh, uh, we can. Uh, excuse you. So I've been manifesting Kyle Gallner in a Scream movie, and I was not disappointed. You would. I saw the movie twice. My main issue that I took away from the first viewing was. Too much exposition in that first act. They really, The hospital room with the sisters. Yes. Enough. They really dumbed it down for, I'm guessing, younger folks or people that aren't really in horror. First viewing, that really rubbed me the wrong way. Second viewing, it's not so bad. And the reveal of the killer or killers makes a lot more sense. I was happy with it. I had a lot of fun. I'd probably go see it again. The uh, the ending, you, you I remember you cackled. Oh, I cackled repeatedly during some most of the kills. Oh, most yeah. of the kills, the kills made me the, so happy. The kills at the end, you cackled out loud, like just cackled. It was you didn't just giggle. You know, you cackled like a jackal. Just <laughs> I only seen it once. Um, I I liked it too. Uh, it ain't no scream one. Uh, it's up there with scream two, I think. Okay, what's your ranking? All right, my ranking, one. Okay. Four. Ooh, okay. I mean, four has Adam Brody. Oh. It has the fake-out openings. It has the character of Kirby, which I liked. Um, there's an oh, Easter egg. There's a little Easter egg in the new one. Yeah, so one, four, five. Okay. For now. Two and three, but they're all cinematic gold. Okay, uh, I'd probably do screen one. Scream 2, Scream 5, mm-hmm. Scream 4, and Scream 3. Yeah. 
To me, Scream 3 is definitely the bottom yeah. of the barrel. But it's and not... Scream 2, it's, Scream 2 is a really good sequel, though. Like, yeah. if you watch them back-to-back, it's really good. Just Randy. Oh. Just as for Randy. Spoiler alert. I don't know why there's such hate for Randy. I don't understand it. I don't get it. He's you guys. You are Randy. That's the point. <laughs> I'm Randy. Yeah. <laughs> um, aside from Scream, uh, I watched The Craft for the first time. Ooh! Yeah, Christy, That's like, also a Nev Campbell film. Yeah, Christy was talking about, like, all these 90s movies yeah. that I've never seen. Like, I've never seen Wild Thing. I've never seen... Oh. Never seen Malibu's Most Wanted, apparently. I saw Wild Things when it came out. Yeah. With my dad. <laughs> I've never seen... Never Been Kissed. Never, I've never Have been... Have you se- seen She's All That? Nope. Oh, that's another one. Yeah. What about 10 Things I Hate About You? Oh, I've seen that. Okay, I was going to say, that's, a, that's one of That's a things. classic. Um, But, like, she's like, you got to watch the, cla- the Craft. And I watch The Craft, and uh, I get the hype. I've been mostly watching shows. Queer Eye. I've not finished all of Queer Eye. New season? Yes. Uh, but they go to Texas. Of course, they're wearing outfits. They're just ridiculous. <laughs> um, uh, I've been watching Peacemaker. It's mm-hmm. only, it, as of this recording, there's only four episodes out, and it's been fantastic. It's... So stupid, so fun, so ridiculous. It's James Gunn. There's a there's an there's an eagle named Eagly, uh, and finally to be on par with the Italian theme for some reason. Well, first I start watching like Rock of Love, like all oh, the way through no. on Hulu. Uh, they don't have I Love New York. Sadly, I did do Daisy of Love. I'm gonna say Rock of Love and Flavor of Love come up in conversation for me weekly. Yeah. Have you been watching it? I've I've I know I've watched them before and I watched them all on Hulu. Oh man! I love in New York is on Pluto TV for some reason. I didn't watch. Yeah. That. Um, but they have that they have Rock of Love and Daisy of Love. I only watched the Flavor of Love episode where the girl pooped on the floor. That's all I. You know about. what I've been watching? MXC. Oh, most extreme challenge. Yes. You with uh, what's it? What's it? What's it? What's their names? Chet Menorem or whatever. Bringing back memories. I was on Spike TV all the so time. So funny. Yeah, they have an entire channel oh of it. God. So good. So if you're ever looking for something mindless but very silly, MXC. But back to my the Italian theme. So that led me down the rabbit hole of rewatching the Jersey Shore. <laughs> uh, I There's an I, entire Jersey Shore channel on Pluto TV. Yeah, like I watched. I'm. I just started the season where they go to Italy. The season four. <laughs> so I, I've gotten through the note. The legendary note. Ronnie put what was it? Ronnie put his head in between waitresses. Her breasts. Her breasts. That is my favorite thing. Oh my god! So I've been watching that. Ronnie and Sammy are the worst. Just insufferable. Oh my gosh, they are the worst. They're insufferable. So they're finally broken up in season four. We'll see about that. Maybe the next episode I'll re- I mean, I've seen all of them. I've not seen Family Vacation, so... I was not expecting that segue from Italian Giallo to Jersey Shore. Hey, Italia! <laughs> I was saving that for the end. That's all I've been watching, really. Have you been watching any Sundance films? I do have a ticket for Meet Me in the Bathroom. I've not watched it as of this recording. Yes, I have a ticket. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to watch it within the next, like, 12 14 hours yeah um i'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll watch it eventually so um, i saw fresh going blind it is hopefully not ruined by the promotion you know when it comes out i hope the trailers don't ruin it sebastian stan is clearly having so much fun I can't really talk about it without spoiling but it will be streaming on hulu in march so check out fresh 
Another movie with which has an actress that you know in it, uh, Michael Monroe. From The Guest. From The Guest, from It Follows. She's in Watcher, which is a really slow burn thriller. Nothing new for the thriller genre, but I just love her. Yeah, she's real good in it, and, and I like that one. You're, a Micah, then, you're a Micah stan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've watched so many things that she's been in. Yeah. And then Something in the Dirt. That's the other one I watched. By Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. We're, we're big Justin, ben- Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead fans. Yeah. And, and David Lawson. Yes, David gush, Lawson. Yes. Gush out David of Lawson. Of course, of course. I did not realize that <laughs> Justin and Aaron were the stars of the movie. And I had seen that little, the clip, just like the promotional little photo where they're like standing next to each other. Unrecognizable. A million times. I did not think it was them. Yeah. I did not think it was them. Very unrecognizable. Yes. It was Back to Basics reminded me of Resolution. Mm -hmm. It was made during the pandemic, but it didn't feel like everything was shut down and they were just alone. You know what I mean? It actually felt like the world was still going when they had exterior shots. I think that's the way they should, that was the right move because they went big budget with Synchronic. Mm -hmm. Didn't love Synchronic. So it's like they're kind of going back to what works yeah, and words. like uh which like, is just like confusing sci-fi. I I feel like conspiracy I'm conspiracy theories. There's a, my brain hurts. I'm I don't just, know. I'm just going to let you all know if you ever watch something and is in the dirt. Prepare your mind cuz I'm going to be real. I watched it. I'm going to have to rewatch it again. I liked it really a lot. I don't know if I loved it cuz I'm so bo- I was so bogged down with ideas. I was even questioning my own is this a simulation right now? Am I watching it? Yeah, like... Did it, you have technical difficulties watching it? No. I had to watch it on an iPad because I could not get it to work on my Sundance app on my Apple TV. I did, I did have an issue with Google Chrome. I had to open in Safari. Then I couldn't get my MacBook or my or my iPad to airplay to my TV. So then I just watched it on my iPad. Oh, I, I was able to airplay with my <laughs> iMac. I was able to um, airplay it. But, but like, I was yeah. thinking, of all of the movies that have technical difficulties, <laughs> yeah, something so, in the dirt. Especially Justin. Well, okay, this is not really a spoiler, but Justin Benson, when he's when he's trying to put the camera on the tripod and he's falling. <laughs> that's how it is. That's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> She cackled like this during screen. <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because we're talking about things falling, then something just like fell off. <laughs> yeah, keep it. Don't edit that out. Don't edit that out. Keep it. I don't even care if I repeat myself. So a lot of fun stuff to start off our year: Jersey Shore, new Sundance films, you know, new Scream. You know, Jersey Shore is not new at all. A. Well, there's fam- Family Vacation is currently airing apparently. Hmm. So. Technically, it is current. Current. I love how Sammy, before we go into the movie, I love how Sammy was like, more concerned about who wrote the note than the contents of the note. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's hilarious to me. And then she punched Ronnie at some point. All right, let's talk about 10 to midnight. Yeah, uh, we had no segue. That was it. Um, <laughs> Ronnie got punched. Uh, Charles Bronson. <laughs> Charles Bronson, there you go. <laughs> so this episode will contain spoilers. You can watch 10 to Midnight on Prime Video. This episode was a listener pick. With that said, I do not consider 10 to Midnight to be Jallo, as we know who the killer is from the very start. Yeah, this is not, uh, when 
this was picked. I did not see this as a Jalo. Maybe till the end, I was like, okay, it's kind of Jalo-ish, but not really. It's kind of more slasher. No mystery, but let's talk about it anyway. Yeah, there's no mystery. Well, there is a mystery on what is going on in that guy's head. Charles Bronson plays Leo Kessler, a cynical Los Angeles cop on the trail of Warren Stacy, an office equipment repairman who begins murdering women after they reject his advances. To minimize the evidence, Warren always kills while naked, wearing nothing but gloves. So remember that weird thing that you said earlier about the jello and being naked? Listeners, that's what Wade was referring to. Yes. <laughs> Is that her killer wears nothing except for gloves, you know, because fingerprints and DNA. Warren further evades the law with his strong alibis. Dun, dun, dun. Inspired by real-life events, 10 to Midnight was released on March 11th, 1983 by City Films, a subsidiary of Canon Films. The film was influenced by the Richer Speck murders of eight student nurses and from the real-life story of a Scotland Yard investigator who got fired from his job for planting evidence to convict a Thames River killer. With that case, it turns out the killer committed three murders before being convicted. Ten to Midnight was filmed in 1982, two years before DNA started to be used in criminal investigations. Another source of inspiration for this film is that of the handsome serial killer, Ted Bundy. So this movie has not aged well. He has a DNA. <laughs> right. Also, marijuana being illegal. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know. That's actually a little backwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. The original script was known by two titles... Bloodbath and Bloody Sunday. Producer Poncho Koner has said that the Canon Group gave this movie its 10 to Midnight title despite having no apparent relevance to the film's story. After Koner successfully pitched the title with Bronson in the lead in a description of great action, great danger, and great revenge to buyers without a script, he scrambled to find a story and settled on the already written Bloody Sunday screenplay. Later, marketing for the film did suggest a connection with the title. The theatrical poster had artwork with our antagonist's arms forming the 11.50 p.m. time on a clock face, while the DVD tagline read, A Cop, A Killer, A Deadline. Was there ever a a clock in the movie? Mm. Oh, there's one single clock in the movie. Yeah, so... also, Also... Bloody Sunday doesn't that happen on Sunday. No. And Bloodbath? No. No, no Bloodbath. They just get no. stabbed once. And then they're just dead. The director no. also has worked with uh Bronson a lot. Mm-hmm. He was on Death Wish. I think he did Death Wish 4, I believe. Containing such Jallo elements as a razor wielding killer, creepy phone calls, and a liberal dose of nudity. 10 to Midnight maintained a sizable cult following through home video releases and cable TV showings. The film was often heavily edited for television, which displayed alternate scenes of our killer and his victims in their underwear instead of being totally naked. That's not fun. Is he wearing that Speedo he wears in the beginning, I'm assuming? Well, I think it's probably just like a fleshy undergarment. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cock sock, is that what they call those? <laughs> yes. Though, this movie did have strategic ways to hide the junk. It did. <laughs> very, very unique. 
let's talk about the cast. So, of course, we have Charles Bronson as Detective Leo Kessler. You would know Bronson from the Death Wish series, The Great Escape, The Magnificent Seven. Charles Bronson was 61 at the time. And apparently he had plastic surgery in order to make himself look younger for this role. Yeah, he looked 55 on this one. <laughs> he looked 60. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, I didn't really, here. I didn't notice the plastic surgery, but also... Charles Branson looks exactly the same yes. all the time. He yes. just has that face. He does have that It kind of looks like Marlon... It kind of looks like, uh, oh God, what's his name? Mickey Rourke a little bit? No. Let's not do that to Mr. Bronson. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Mr. We, Grodin. <laughs> we have Lisa Elbacher as Lori Kessler, who is Detective Leo Kessler's daughter. She's got sass. I like her. She had a bandana at one time. Yeah, she was cool. She was real cool. Andrew Stevens as Paul McCann, Detective Leo's younger partner. He's the rookie partner. Gene Davis plays Warren Stacy, who is our killer. Gene Davis said that director Jay Lee Thompson pretty much left him alone to form his character, but told him, quote, we don't want the role to be sympathetic, presumably so to make the ending have more impact. So they were like, be a loner, but don't be a likable loner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and fun fact, the name of the killer, Warren Stacy, was based on Hollywood star Warren Beatty. You'll like this one. Wolford Brimley as Captain Clem Malone. I saw Wolford Brimley. I was like, oh my gosh. He's in this. Mm -hmm. And this is one of three collaborations with Charles Bronson and Wolford. The others are Borderline from 1980 and The Act of Vengeance from 1986. Oh my god. That means Charles Bronson was like late 60s. With a 101 minute runtime, 10 to Midnight contains... Eight kills or deaths total, one death every 12 minutes. We won't go through every beat of this film, but I just wanted to do like a, a very brisk walkthrough of the plot. Uh, one of those um, cliff notes. Yeah, just like a cliff notes of 10 to midnight. Warren Stacy is a young office equipment repairman who kills women after they reject his sexual advances. His attempts at flirting are always seen as creepy by women, resulting in frequent rejections. His first victim is Betty, an office worker who has previously rejected him. He tracks her down to a wooded area and watches her having sex with her boyfriend inside his van. He ambushes the couple, kills the boyfriend, and then chases the naked woman away. Not only does she reject him, she throws coffee in his face. He, like, undips her dress in the office. Like, yeah. in the, or, like, in the break room. Yeah. And then she throws hot, I assume, hot coffee in his face. Good. And they do, like, they do a couple replays of it, too. What a creep. <laughs> he catches Betty and stabs her to death. This is kill one and kill two. While naked. While naked. And the victims are also naked. Yeah. So when I say liberal dose nudity, it it's starts off. That's th that's three. That's three naked people. I think they call it in bowling. They call it a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Also, when this kill is happening, Warren has a really good alibi because he goes to a movie, makes a very obvious interaction with two girls, and do then he sneaks out. Do you know what movie it was? 
Oh, it was the one with Robert Redford in it. It's Butch Cassidy and Sundance yes, Kid. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Were you asking me to, like, trip me up how the rookie cop tried tripping Warren up when he asked him about the movie? No, I was curious because I was like, oh, what was the movie? When you were saying that, I was like, oh, I remember the movie. Do you remember the movie? Yeah, I yeah. forgot what it was off the Yeah, so speaking of the rookie cop, two Los Angeles police detectives, Leo Kessler, who is Charles Bronson, and Paul McCann, who is played by Andrew Stevens, are tasked with investigating these two murders. It becomes known that Leo's daughter, Lori is an acquaintance to some of the victims. A student nurse herself, she becomes a target for the killer. Warren works to cover his tracks of the first two murders, which results in the stabbing of Betty's roommate as Warren looks for Betty's diary and the poisoning of a prostitute in a hotel. These are kills three and four. So it happens pretty fast. I mean, it's like every ten minutes there's... Can we confirm that the prostitute died? Or was she passed out? We don't see her ever again, so she's yeah, dead. Yeah, I, I feel like Leo walks over and, like, touches her neck, like, okay. her pulse. Okay. I don't know. I sort of assumed that he would, like, shake her if yeah. she was breathing or to, like, wake her up. the call, hey, you need the paramedics here. Right, exactly. Okay, so that's she definitely why died. I, that's why I assumed that Oh, she she's died. death number four. Child of the Moth has declared... That prostitute is dead. She's dead. So strange that he, like, poisons her, but he stabs everyone else. It could have been like she over. It could have come off that she's an overdose. She'd overdose. She's a prostitute. Who cares? In in this setting, who cares? I guess. It didn't seem like that was his motive, though. It didn't really go along. No, his motive was just to lure Charles Bronson mm. away from the hospital so he can go after the daughter. Very true. Very true. Throughout the entire film, the detectives are hot on Warren's tracks. Eventually arresting him, Warren avoids prosecution by constructing sound alibis and assaulting his victims while naked, wearing a pair of latex gloves to hide fingerprints, thus minimizing evidence. Our newbie, Paul, refuses to go along when Leo plants evidence in order to frame the suspect. Warren is set free and goes on another rampage, killing three nursing students who are roommates of Leo's daughter. The first roommate is stabbed when answering the door. The second one is stabbed in the shower. Third is stabbed in the bathroom. These are kills five, six, and seven. A little bit of tension when the daughter's hiding under the bed. That whole dorm scene was tense. Yeah, tense that was too. pretty tense. I will say most of the movie, the majority of the movies, flat. Yeah, pretty flat. I'm um, again, and I like that daughter character. Yeah, the third act is She's definitely dead. the highlight of the entire movie. She burns him with a curling iron. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's metal. <laughs> This takes us to our finale. Three different endings were considered before the final version was settled on. The original script called for Leo Kessler to wrestle Warren Stacy to the ground in their final confrontation, but Charles Bronson wasn't getting that up close and personal with a naked man. This is also in the 60s. My daddy's kind of wrestling one. And this guy did run like a mile. He's probably really sweaty down there. I understand Charles Bronson doesn't want to wrestle, dude. Pretty gross. Yeah. Warren runs from the crime scene and is eventually caught stark naked in the street. Warren exclaims how he will say all the things that will prove he is crazy, like he hears voices that order him to do things, etc., so that one day he will be back on the street and Leo, as well as the whole fucking world, quote, whole fucking world, will hear from him again. Charles motherfucking Bronson replies, no, no we, we won't. won't. 
<laughs> Bang! <laughs> he then shoots Warren once in the head, executing him and leaving all other considerations aside. Leo stands over the body, surrounded by police. Yeah. The end. The end. You don't know if he got arrested or not? We don't know. His, his arms might, are out. Might have lost his job. He already did lose his job. Because he's playing up the evidence. Oh, yeah. Because he said, told his daughter, like, I've been fired once already. Mm. Yeah. He is working outside the law. I doubt he would still <laughs> I doubt he'd still have a job if he planned evidence. Then again, who knows? Yeah, I was going to say, who knows? Who knows? And once he was, like, smoking weed on the job. Oh, yeah. That we know. We don't know. There's no evidence. There's no evidence <laughs> of this. What did you think about the setting of the film? Did you like like a like an '80s LA? It's a movie that reminds me of like the New York sleaze. The sleaze films like Maniac, mm-hmm. uh, New York Ripper, just yeah. like the really sleaziness of it. Especially with a guy just being naked all the time. Yeah, and it's also just like grimy. The city's mm-hmm. kind of grimy. I kind of forgot it was Los Angeles. I thought it was New York for a minute because of how they shot it. But there are some like sleazy LA movies too. Yeah. Like, uh, Angels, I think, is one of them. Uh, yeah. The recent Joe Bob movie, that was kind of a sleaze LA thing. But this one is, it's very grounded, very grounded. There's nothing, like, ridiculous mm-hmm. about it. Positive and a negative, I think, because it does feel a little dry. Our cinematographer is named Adam Greenberg, and he did one of my all-time favorite films, Near Dark. You know, I could see it. What I like about cinematography is, I don't have many notes for it, but, like, they, I feel like maybe this is by accident or just happenstance, but I feel like he sh- he shot it differently for each part. When it's a cough procedural stuff, it's flat. Like a like a Law and Order, and Law and Order didn't exist back then. But like Law and Order, uh, like Steadicam, like Steadicam, just, just like kind of yeah. like a courtroom yep. courtroom drama kind of stuff. But when we're dealing with Warren, it's more in your face. It's more moving. It's more kind of yeah, dirty. A lot of like POV. Yeah, yeah. Even like the the, the climax of the film, it's completely shot differently than it is for the rest of the movie. I'm not sure if that was on purpose. But it's a nice little thing I noticed. That's like, it feels like whenever it involves the killer or there's anything that's with tension, the camera's moving a little more and it's more close ups. Mm-hmm. But if it's more, but if it's not, unless it's, if it's a cop procedural part and it's not Charles Bronson, there's not many close ups on people. Just medium shots. Yeah. yeah but I probably in, too. probably in Bronson's contract, he needed like 60 um, <laughs> close up shots of his face. <laughs> also, you mentioned with the synopsis, we did not talk about that weird opening where it's him on the typewriter. Mm-hmm. And then the criminal gets taken away. And then opening credits with this high adrenaline kind of rock music. It's and you're like, the what? most 80s song ever. Just like picture like a... Like yeah. all just like upbeat. Yeah. But after that really dry opening, I'm like, yeah. what is this? Yeah, yeah. The music for 10 to Midnight was composed by Canon Film's mainstay, Robert O. Ragland. While his scores for Grizzly from 1976 and Q from 1982 are well-known to film genre music fans, his music for this film became perhaps the most memorable of his career. The foot chase at the end, that music, chef's kiss, that music was awesome. And there was that shot of, like, uh, when he's chasing after her naked in the street. And then she runs into Charles Bronson's arms. Dude, that shot ruled. Yeah. Like, he came out of nowhere, and he just, like, she runs into his arms. He's like, stop right there. And like, yes, Charles Bronson. Heavy on violence, nudity, vulgar language, and sexual situations, 10 to Midnight drew scathing reviews from film critics, including a zero stars rating from Roger Ebert, who wrote, 
I admired Bronson's strong, simple talent once. What is he doing in a garbage disposal like this? (laughs) (laughs) My opinion, my personal opinion, is that Charles Bronson doesn't do much until the final act of the film. And again, there's no mystery to who the killer is. This is a pretty lousy Jallo, but it's a nice vehicle for an aging Bronson. I do wish there was more tension throughout the entire film, not just the third act. And again, I really enjoyed the sassy daughter character. Yeah, I'm about in the same boat of I didn't really love the film. I liked it. I didn't hate it. And I've been doing like stuff like I'm thinking there's like B-movie damage. There's a lot of terrible movies I've seen. But this one's definitely not in that league at all. Uh, it's a canon film, so you know it's going to be either okay or good or... It, yeah, I mean, it, it was entertaining, but I do agree that it, it needed a little more f- tension. Mm-hmm. It, the mystery was gone. There was no mystery at all. It's one, of those, it's one of those movies where, like, you know who the killer is, but the main characters don't. And you're kind of yelling at the characters, do you know this? <laughs> Charles Bronson's the only one that actually knows about. Also, that guy was not handsome enough to be such a creep. No one, no matter how handsome you are, you can't just assume that everyone wants to sleep with you. Yeah. Especially if you're being a creep. But what happens if a woman... <laughs> digs that and she he goes for an advance and she's like okay let's go on a date his head's gonna explode yeah i mean is he <laughs> does he kill himself and i don't know uh also there's one scene i was like i don't know if it's completely inspired american psycho at all but the scene where like he's chasing after laurie mm-hmm. he runs out of the dorm and he runs the staircase and there are, she's running mm-hmm. away and it made me think, that reminds me of American Psycho when he's on the staircase yeah, of the yeah. chainsaw. And I'm like, I wonder if they... I wonder if... I doubt they've watched off. 10 to Midnight and ripped it off. <laughs> I doubt it. They ripped off the ones. But like, scene. guy naked on the stairwell chasing a girl to kill her. You don't see that every day. Nope. You know what else you don't see every day? A talent like Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson. Born in 1921 as Charles Bukanski. Yeah, that's not not marketable. (laughs) Charles Bronson was an American actor who was often cast in roles as police officers, gunfighters, or vigilantes in revenge-oriented plot lines. At the height of his fame in the early 1970s, he was the world's number one box office attraction, commanding $1 million per film. Before becoming an actor, Bronson enlisted in the United States Army Air Forces. He served with distinct 760th Flexible Gunnery Training Squadron. Bronson flew a total of 25 missions and received a Purple Heart for wounds received in battle. He was a badass dude. Hell yeah. During the first 30 years of his career, Bronson established himself as a bona fide Hollywood character actor while working with some of the film industry's leading directors. He scored the lead in the ABC detective series Man with a Camera from 1958 to 1960 and was cast in leading man roles in some low-budget films like Machine Gun Kelly, not Mr. Megan Fox, a biopic of the real-life gangster directed by Roger Corman. Bronson was once said to be the world's most popular movie star, just not in America. (laughs) He made a serious name for himself in European films. His agent recalled a French producer pitched the actor on the fact that in the American film industry, all the money, all the publicity goes to the pretty boy hero types. 
In Europe, the public is attracted by character, not face. Yeah, so... You said he has a face. He has a face. Uh, he ain't no Steve McQueen. That's actually how Bronson got his last name. Driving around with Steve McQueen. Oh, really? Guessing L.A. And there was a street sign that said, like, Bronson Drive or Bronson Road. And that's how he picked his surname. Yes. He's n- he is not related to Pierce Brosnan, though. <laughs> no, different names. Yes. Charles Bronson went on to act in the popular Once Upon a Time in the West in 1968. The film's director said that Bronson was the greatest actor I have ever worked with, and he wanted to cast him for the lead in 1964's A Fistful of Dollars. Bronson turned him down, and the role launched Clint Eastwood to film starting. I did not know he was going to be the man with no name. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Damn, that, that would change all those movies. That would changed everything. Yeah. Like, Clint Eastwood would not be a director now. He wouldn't be doing all these... Two- crazy to think about, like, the trajectory of different careers. Bronson's most notable role came at the age of 52 in Death Wish, the first one. It's the most popular film. He played a successful New York architect who turns into a crime-fighting vigilante after his wife is murdered and his daughter is sexually assaulted. So the first Death Witch, it spawned four sequels over the next two decades, and they all starred Charles Bronson. So as he was aging, he was still just, like, kicking ass. And then there was a remake. Oh. Bruce Willis. Oh, not the same. Roth. (laughs) Back to Bronson. Bronson was a man of little words. One of his defining traits was his gruff tone, which we've talked about a few times on this episode. It was kind of hard to miss, be it in The Mechanic or any of the Death Wish movies. And this film. Of course, yeah. He yeah. definitely, he has that detective, hardened... Hard-nosed detective kind yeah. of... Yeah. Tough dad. Like, no nonsense. Yes. I'm gonna shoot you in the head. <laughs> yes, he does have... One-liners? No, we won't. Boom! Oh, hold on, hold on. Before you continue, there, there are quotes I wrote here. I forgot to mention these quotes. Is it one like, have you ever made it with a woman? Remember uh, that one? One, he says... His knife has got to be his penis. Uh, the killer, uh, he says, my name is Pedro, which means Peter, which I have the biggest water. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. All of the dialogue when he was making those creepy phone calls was part laughable, but mostly just gross. Ew. Yeah. This guy's going to get me too Again, he wasn't even, like, handsome enough to be saying this stuff. He's definitely a weirdo. <laughs> when film critic Roger Ebert... Here we go again. He's, he's like dropping bombs. Oh boy, here. Ebert. Was sent to interview Bronson in 1974. He found a man who wasn't fond of talking. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, because he probably saw that you like talking shit about him and all that. Yeah, Roger, jeez. <laughs> uh, Bronson said, I don't ever talk about the philosophy of a picture. It has never come up, and I wouldn't talk about it to you. I don't expound. I don't like to over-talk a thing because I'm entertained more by my own thoughts than by the thoughts of others. Yeah. Take that, Ebert. Ebert also said that Time Boy was not a quotable movie. Tommy want wingy. She like paint chips as a kid? Um, here I am, like, trying to do a very nice, respectful <laughs> ode to Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson garnered over 160 acting credits during his career before passing away in 2003. He, sorry, he lived through 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. He lived through nine decades. Crazy. Yeah. 
With this episode, I wanted to pay respect to a well-loved talent. This brings us to our flavor of the month picks. Wade, what do you think would pair well with 10 to Midnight? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, I can... Tommy Boy. No, I can, <laughs> I can make it easy to say any Charles Bronson movie from, like, like 75 and up. Um, I'll go different. It's definitely a different change of quality, but no country for old men for the the cat and mouse between the criminal and the cop. I just watched that movie a week ago at a bar. Really? I might have even watched 10 to Midnight, like, the day before. Did you watch Tommy Boy 2? I had not. I haven't seen Tommy Boy in some time. Damn. Maybe I should. <laughs> That's a good pick. Yeah, I, I did not think about that. I was going to say Charles Bronson movie. I must say this about No Country for Old Men. All of the iconic scenes that you know and, like, remember are all in the first, like, 45 minutes of the yeah. movie. And then the movie just, like, goes on for, like, two more hours. No one talks about, like, that long speech that Tommy Lee Jones has at the, at the breakfast table at the end of the movie. No one ever talks about that. Just kept going and going and going. And you get the Josh Rowland stuff and the cat announced that. That's yeah. awesome. And then, and spoiler, he dies. In the middle of the movie, and you're like, oh. Yeah. And then the movie just go. Not, not, not saying it's a bad movie, but like, really, the. The structure of that movie is very interesting. Yeah, the pace near the end is just kind of like, oh. Yeah. Good pick. So I was in line with your original thought, which was a Charles Bronson film. I would recommend Messenger of Death from 1988. This is another movie starring Charles Bronson that also features Gene Davis, who plays our killer. Okay. And both are directed by J. Lee Thompson. The plot of the film, a Denver reporter, who's played by Charles Bronson, investigates the mass murder of a family of Mormons in Colorado. That sounds interesting. Yeah, so I think that based on it being similar director, similar cast, but very much a different tone and different setting, I think that it could be a a cool pairing. Do you have anything that you would like to plug or promote? The usual stuff. Uh, Suede Guy is... The Instagram for me, Letterbox is Suede MCP. I'm currently at 12 films of the year so far. Mm. So I'm going to try breaking that record. I won't. But whatever. <laughs> What's uh, the record? Whatever last year was. It was like 300 movies. I don't know. 380 yeah, I think mine was three. Oh, you know what? Let's do a redact it right now. My count that I mentioned on the last episode you were on, our year end favorite films list, was not correct. Letterbox oh. lied to me. Those cheeky bastards. And then when I got my year-end wrap-up, which they do, I don't know, maybe a week or two into the year, I actually got the correct count. So I thought that I had watched 312 movies in in 2021, but I actually watched 338 movies. Jeez. Jesus. I didn't try. 250 was my goal. That's my... I put that as my New Year's resolution to watch 250 movies. Yeah. Previous years, I've done, you know, like 500 was my goal, and then that's just <laughs> So I said half of... You have a job. I have a job. I have a podcast. I have a lot of hobbies. Yeah. Still be watching movies. Yeah. <laughs> Mid-Kadish Productions. They're still doing stuff. Mid-Kadish Productions on Instagram. The your Diana right now underneath she is sitting underneath the butterfly of black velvet original print art by Suspiria Land by Suspiria Land. If you don't know who she is, follow her on Instagram. Follow her on Suspiria Land. I mean that name alone. If you're listening to this for Italian horror and giallo, you should follow it anyway. The film's pretty much done. I just got to do some sound mixing, 
aiming for March of a release. So I'll be on here probably plugging that. Of course, of yeah. course. Happy um, to have you. Yeah, and then also the YouTube, youtube.com slash Mercurish Productions. You know, we do Boom Boom Dam, we do Criterion Connection. You the our year end episode. Uh, if you prefer listening on YouTube, the year end episode, our top ten, that's on there under Mint Condition. And finally, Instagram for Tales from the Pod Crypt. It's coming back. I'm kind of cleaning up some episodes and hopefully after I'm done the short, I can start focusing on that again. A lot of fun stuff. Yes. You can follow Jollo Month Club on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. If you're listening on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast streaming service and you like what you hear, please give the podcast a five-star rating, thumbs up, a nice review. Logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Vegan Patches Etsy shop at Retirement Funds. Theme music is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. Last but not least, you can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at DianaNK. I've been posting a lot more reviews lately. I've been doing a lot better at that. Typically, I just watch a movie, sometimes rate it. But this year, I think since I am aiming to watch, like, less films, I want to give more quality feedback. Letterboxd, that's where you can find me. So it's D-I-A-N-N-A-N-K. Yep. Wade, thank you for being on this not-so-jollo episode. But it was a listener pick. Hey, it was a listener pick. I would have never watched this movie. (laughs) I did eat Jello, so you ate, ate Jello on the podcast. That's a first, I believe. We always make the joke about Jello. As always, I'm your host, Diana. Numb Wade.